Listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Aaron, we are off into our second month here of 2020, a new decade, and uh, lots of movement going on. We've got an open that's already been gone through, we got a, a new classic qualifier for 2021 we've got the inaugural flw pro circuit in the books and we are on the cusp of kicking off the Bassmaster elite series in just a couple days aaron there is uh, no doubt that bass fishing is all over and around us all we got to do is open our eyes and breathe it in that's right. You know, it uh, wasn't too long ago we were talking about having cabin fever, and uh, here we are. We are in the thick of things, and of course, February brings about Valentine's Day, Kurt, coming up on the 14th. And uh, if you've got that special someone or want to buy a gift for yourself, what other than a uh, better gift to give than the gift of black and red is their logo, and that is MegaWare Keelguard, longtime sponsors of Bass Edge Radio since we started. Of course, the Flex Step, the Do It Yourself Keel Protector, uh, all those things can be found on keelguard.com but kurt uh you know you had mentioned the busyness and all of the tournaments and everything that's going on you had a uh basically a recent tournament a few weeks back on on rayburn with your inaugural event yeah i kicked it off and um it kicked me back sometimes happens that sometimes it happens. does it does tough very tough first day and uh, as we all know when when you have a very tough first day it's hard to reel them back and i'm talking about the competition um reeled in some fish on day two and and caught you know, a few fish on day one, but man, very poor performance. Day one came back had a middle of the pack day on, on day two. And, um, you know, I, I still scratch my head a little bit, Aaron, you know, we talk about adjusting and, and mental attitude and, and a lot of things that are important here on Bass Edge. And I, and I want to give a shout out to folks uh, watching my social media because I had a couple comments on uh, on that kind of thing that uh, we talk here so much on Bass Edge Radio. And um, anyway, long story short is I had a tough event, ended up catching some fish on a swim jig with actually a Rains fishing boot tail swim bait a rock vibe shit rock vibe shad okay and uh i i really welded the old chatter bait in my hand the first day i had a good practice aaron not a great practice but a practice that was one of those deals where you felt like you were in tune with what was going on in tune with the speed of retrieve in tune with a lure that was generating some strikes um and i was fishing shallow felt like if I, when I say welded that bait in my hand, what I mean is don't put it down, right? Just really concentrate and uh, make good presentations, go through a couple areas with some emergent vegetation, which is what I was keying on there at Rayburn, and um, just thought I'd get some, you know, enough bites, seven, eight, ten bites a day to uh, have a decent bag. Knew it was going to fish a little bit tougher than it had in the past, and uh, I mean, it just did not absolutely materialize. Ended up catching my fish. Uh, Four bikes the first day, all of them came on with spinnerbait. The second day, I, I switched over and started throwing a swim jig a little bit more often and um, generated a few more strikes that we've already discussed. But uh, tough tournament, buddy. Yeah, tough. well, you know, sometimes that, that happens, and sometimes those moments, even though we don't uh, necessarily like to focus on those, those are sometimes when we learn the most. But knowing yeah. you and how we perform in this sport, you will go back to the drawing board and be able to regroup and, and come out strong for the next event. As mentioned in the past, nothing worth having comes easy, right? That's right. <laughs> so. That's right. Of course, I'm sure John Cox appreciated things seem to come easy <laughs> with a wire-to-wire -wire lead win for him. Unbelievable. John Cox uh, continues to just be engulfed in flames as maybe the hottest angler on the planet and uh, fishing both the, the pro circuit with FLW, fishing the Bass Elite Series. So he's getting ready for another 
kickoff of the season on the Elite Series side coming up. But yeah, John Cox found a, a magic little spot that produced heavy form on day one and two, and then really just kind of scrambled and uh, fished uh, the way John Cox fishes a lot, and, and that is just free and caught fish on many different lures and many different sections of the lake. And uh, congrats to him for pulling out the dub. That was uh, yeah, that was a great win. It's interesting, Aaron. Did you see all the changes? that uh mlf flw you know kind of the whole pro circuit's going through it's pretty amazing yeah it is i you know i saw uh quite a bit of stuff from sponsor shakeups to you know the variable weights now it seems like uh, as we've talked about for the last couple years here now kurt there is always something in state of flux or change when it comes to tournament organizations these days yeah. Well, just want to touch on some of those real quick, you know, FLW now being sponsored by Phoenix Boats after they had been with Ranger since the beginning. Right. So really seeing a major change in corporate policy and what's going on there so that they can, uh, you know, kind of make their own programming now being owned by MLF. So I think you're going to continue to see some change. I saw some feedback on a couple of forums about the weight variations for the Major League Fishing pro tour uh some guys saying well they finally listen to the fans and what the fans wanted because what they're doing in a variable weight system is some events it might be a two pound minimum to be a scoreable bass other events it could be a one pound minimum and and some of another event it could be a three pound minimum so you know looking to really have the anglers target maybe a little bit better quality fish in some events because that's what an empowerment may be set up for right so and and it's interesting like i said you see some of these feedback well they finally change well heck They've only been in business one year with the BBT, right? So when I when they say finally, I'm thinking to myself like, well, hey, this is just their second go around. Of course, they're changing. You know, they they hear the feedback. They're they're making things happen. And uh, man, you look on the Bass Elite side, man, they they've got a great field this year. I think the competition is going to be ramped up again on that level. Just all of bass fishing is in a great spot, man. I, I love watching it, love following along, and and love competing in it. It's awesome. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Very, very exciting times. And of course, it's uh, the time of year that everybody likes because uh, it, you know, spawn has has started. It's well underway in certain parts of the country. But as we move north, it it, it gets better. But speaking of uh, moving north, we better get a move on concerning the next segment yes. of the show, which uh, is always one of my favorites, Kurt. Yeah, we got a, a whole slate of great things to discuss here, but always after the first session, we're going to break you right into the protecttheharvest.com tackle tips. Stay tuned right here on Bass Edge Radio. This episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with BASS Elite Series Pro Kyle Welcher. Hey guys, it's wintertime right now. I live in the southeastern part of the United States, so we have fish stay shallow all year, and a lot of people overlook these fish because just the traditional way to fish is get a little bit deeper on some of these rock banks and stuff, but one of my favorite things to do is get on these transition banks where there's a sharp drop-off and actually get up there on top of the flat and look for the thickest cover I can find. This time of year, it's usually wood because most of the grass is dead, and I'll take a swim jig, which is something most people think about for the summertime and hydrilla fishing, but I'll take this swim jig and I'll feather it through all this heavy cover, the backside of docks. And the reason I like a swim jig is because I can drop it in the cover and just reel it out or I can shake it over any kind of limbs and it stays a lot more weedless than a traditional spinnerbait or chatterbait or a crankbait would. So in the wintertime, stay shallow. There's still plenty of big fish shallow. They start to make eggs this time of year. They move shallow and they're trying to eat shad and I throw a white swim jig and the heaviest cover I can find on the sharpest drops. That'll catch you some big winter bass. Awesome stuff. Great tip, Kyle. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Kurt, uh, you know, the 25th, 26th of January, that uh, Saturday, Sunday, uh, was kind of a tough, tough weekend for sports fans. Uh, we lost a, a couple legends and, you know, both had tremendous impacts really uh, with their lives outside of the sports of which they mainly worked in. Yeah, no doubt. You know, obviously in the bass fishing world, we lost uh, one of the pioneers. Uh, you know, in my opinion of the sport, you know, some people call him an icon and, and he was such an integral part uh, of everything that happened in bass fishing from its beginning is in the, in the late sixties as a sport. I'm talking of course of Forrest Wood. Uh, he died Saturday, January 25th at 87 years old. Uh, man, you know, not, not only was he a boat builder, you know, that's what everybody knows him for, you know, the founder of Ranger Boats, building, you know, an iconic brand in, in the sport. But, uh, you know, also a lot of people don't know he, he was a competitor in BASS competition in the early years. I mean, fished in over 100 events. I mean, that's a lot of freaking tournaments, man. And he was uh, an angler, an outdoorsman, a businessman. Uh, just a, a huge part of the growth of our sport and and how we know it today in, in yeah, so and many the culture that he you know that he yeah. built his company and also how he ran his life. Yes, yeah. I mean, if anybody knew Forrest or or uh, got to meet Forrest, you know, he was always there for the people. And, and you know, there's so many other things that were going on in his life, but it always seemed like he had time to be in touch with the bass fishing community. And uh, it was just, you know, sad to see him go. Obviously, 87 years old, he lived an awesome life and a, and a long life. And of course, survived by his wife, Nina, and and uh, several other uh, family members. And and now, you know, his, his uh, son-in-law, I believe, and, and also his grandson, you know, starting Vexus Boats as of recent. So, uh, you know, still tradition carries on with what four started and, and maybe some other aspect and other brand names. But uh, man, just, uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out and uh, appreciate what Forrest did for the sport of bass fishing and, uh, you know, just kind of have, have a memory there. You know, Aaron, you talked about uh, it being a tough weekend. Um, sport of basketball, you know, we lost a, uh, a superstar, Kobe Bryant, you know, retired four years ago. I actually just uh, a week or so ago, they showed his final game uh, on ESPN of, you know, kind of a recap. And uh, man, what a figure he was in the sport of basketball and just in, in the sports world in general. No doubt. And of course, the things that he did on the court were amazing, but uh, also just so, so impressed. Kind of like what we were talking about with Forrest Wood, the, the things that he did off the court, Kurt, um, I can tell you with his Mamba sports and, and getting inner city kids involved to uh, pushing the rise of women's sports and, and helping females get in, involved to his venture capitalist firm uh, and having over two billion dollars of assets under management uh, with that. But, you know, I, I remember uh, last year when Maya was uh, doing kind of her thing at the U.S. Open right. tennis tournament there in, in New York City. And uh, he spoke and, and he had a book that he had written uh, for kids and, and specifically uh, young girls in the sport. And he, he gave her a book and, and signed it. And, and, you know, that just meant so much to her. And, and she was, you know, just devastated as the global presence was. I mean, I was just shocked of, of how far his reach was just outside of basketball, but also the other things that, that he did uh, from a philanthropic standpoint to a business standpoint to all of his different brands but the sports industry definitely took one on the chin you know that weekend and 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 those two legends of 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 what they did and what they stood for just uh really kind of shook things up yeah for sure so just wanted to uh do our respects and 
bring that up, you know, and, and let people know that, that we appreciate these uh, figures in, in, in our perspective sports. You know, I actually grew up playing basketball, so I was a big basketball fan. Of course, I, I'm most passionate about bass fishing. So um, just certainly, you know, ha- having those things go around, um, it's important to uh, remember those things, man. They're, they're so important to our lives. So uh, it's uh, good to do that. Moving on into a lighter topic, we've got uh, – We've got some bass fishing going on. <laughs> we do, we do, you know, and it's uh, even though uh, some of us do not fish tournaments, uh, some of us do. Uh, it's still trying to catch the little green monster that's out there. But you know, Kurt, I always think back to this was when I was first getting into this sport. This was always a big time of year for me, right? Because as as it is still, <laughs> I look forward to this time of year, like we talked about in segment A. Um, but when you tournament fish. Uh, you've got a couple different options. There's different levels. And of course, I heard from uh, Scott Duck, who's been a longtime listener of Bass Edge Radio. And, and he reached out to me and, and he's, he's a, a guy that fishes uh, the BFLs and local tournaments and stuff like that. But he's, he's going to step into kind of the co-angler role within the FLW series. And that is the thing that I appreciate about our sport is that you have that ability to fish different levels. But he's kind of walking into it with uh, the approach that, you know, what this is kind of my next level of education uh that i'm going to do to try and make him a better angler and i can remember doing the exact same thing of course i probably should have stayed in the back of the boat a little bit longer than what i did but uh you know i i I do think that that is a huge tool a tremendous tool that we as anglers can use to to do those types of things and kind of be exposed to different anglers different bodies of water different techniques and take it to the next level. I know you have experience kind of coaching, uh, you know, anglers and as they develop. So what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think Scott's approach is, is outstanding, actually. Um, I think that uh, what we often don't realize is is when you're moving up, you know, you, if you, let's say you're starting at your local club level, right? And uh, you, you're a co-angler at your, at your club level and maybe a non-boater. You know, you don't even own a bass boat. You can get started in the, in the sport of bass fishing if that's not cool enough. <laughs> but generally, you're going to be in a small local regional area. I mean, when I say small local regional, I'm talking about, you know, maybe 100 miles within the house, you know, or, or wherever that local club, you know, resides. So as you expand and maybe you go to the BFLs as a co-angler or boater, you know, maybe you might expand that to a couple hundred miles from the house, you know, two or 300 miles. So then you, then you step to the next level and go to the FLW series or the Bassmaster opens. Again, you're broadening your horizons. I think it's really smart for an angler to kind of dip your toe into it at that co-angler level. You can see the uh, competition that, that you're going to be working with the types of fisheries that, you know, kind of broaden your horizons. And, and, and that when, when you start moving away from the house a little bit more, the home base, uh, those things change quite a bit. So being able to uh, see it from a different perspective, kind of dip your toe into it. You don't have to spend all this crazy money on pro entry fees, traveling with your boat, truck and doing all that kind of stuff. And um, you can kind of, you know, gauge your level and uh, like you mentioned earlier, rise your education to that process. I think it's a great move for Scott. I think one of the key things as a co-angler is uh, don't lose the competitive edge. I think the one thing that I, you hear a lot about, well, it's luck of the draw. Man, I have seen a lot of good co-anglers and it has oftentimes – I mean the draw helps. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes it's about using your creative mindset and how to attack something from the back of the boat is so critical because it's not always that you need a big limit as a co-angler. It's that you need to catch fish. You need to figure out how to put a limit in the boat. Right. How, how to- can you siphon out those couple bites within the limited road ditches, yeah. right? Because you're, you're – let's call it what it is. You're at a disadvantage being in the back of the boat. Yeah, there's no question. And, and, and so you've got to use that creative mindset, you know, okay, well, this guy's, you know, flipping and pitching at every tree in front of me. Okay, well, I'm going to throw a drop shot just, you know, out in the drain. Maybe there's some pre-spawners out there. You know, maybe there's a fish just cruising out there. Oh, I see uh, a log a little bit farther away and, and he's power fishing. I'm going to finesse fish or, or vice versa, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a great mental challenge for a co-angler to stay in the game 
and use their creative ability to catching fish and the thought process that goes within that. Because oftentimes we're so one dimensionally focused on, oh, that's what they're doing. That's what you have to do to catch bass. Eh, not the case. A lot of different ways to catch them. Make sure, Scott, you go out there and have some fun. Utilize that. I, I'm going to be interested to hear some thought process on what he thought once it's all said and done. Maybe uh, maybe we'll have him on the show, kind of get a perspective of what he thought going in and what actually came out on the backside. So, <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Sounds like a great idea. So, But uh, right. in the meantime, we've got, uh, we've got other business to tend to. We do. We do. We've got an uh, awesome veteran angler in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Y'all hang tight. We're going to talk with the Bassmaster Elite Series Angler right before the kickoff of this season. Stay tuned. I'm professional angler Bradley Roy. I am FLW Tier Pro Wade Strelick. I am professional angler Marty Robinson. I am Farm to Feet Pro Angler Andy Montgomery. I'm BASS Elite Angler Alton Jones Jr. I'm Dave Wolak, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kurt. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, I'm sure you are too, and all of us here at Bass Edge Radio getting fired up for the first BASS Elite Series event of the year taking place down in Florida. Who better to chat with than a Floridian that will be fishing the event? So many topics to cover with this veteran pro. Welcome to the show, BASS Elite Series angler Bernie Schultz. Thanks for being with us today, Bernie. Glad to be here. Thank you for calling. You bet. Well, Bernie, uh, long time wanted to have this conversation with you, so we're going to jump right into it. You know, you were often uh, starting the early part of the season in your home state. How does that generally work out for you? Is that something you look forward to, or do you feel additional pressure in these circumstances? Uh, all of the above. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to uh, be able to travel, you know, less travel to start the season, you know, you're, it's convenient. I'm, I'm in my backyard for, oh, a, a number of different uh, venues. It just depends where Bass starts the schedule. But this year, as you just mentioned, we're on the St. John's, and it's less than an hour from my house. So that part of it's good. Uh, historically, I'm not great on the St. John's River. I've had some good tournaments there. I've, I've won smaller tournaments there. And, I, you know, I, I think my chances are as good as anybody in the field with with the exception of maybe Cliff Prince and, and John Cox, those guys, will, they should stand out in this event. But, yeah, it's always nice to start in your home state, especially early in the year when it's cold. Man, Bernie, you mentioned John Cox. Would that be just nutso if he went back-to-back on two separate tours? <laughs> He's fully capable. I mean, John's a great fisherman, and we're looking at a probably pre to maybe somewhat of a spawn cycle uh, kicking off in that event. I think there's a full moon on the end of the week. Wow. Uh, of that event so things could set up just right for john but but don't discount cliff prince either he's he's a great offshore fisherman there's a lot of bars and shell beds that the fish relate to in the st john's river he's a master at reading the tide so my money's on cliff really at this point well my money's on bernie just so you know and uh <laughs> well, i like that i like that <laughs> But if, if you had money on Rick Klon the last couple times down at the St. John's, you did fairly well, right? A unique fishery, not just for Florida waterways, but really anywhere the Elite Series fishes. Typically, you know, making a dash to some of the bigger impoundments like Lake Crescent or Lake George. Do you feel that the river is going to play an additional factor this year with kind of the warmer winter conditions that we've seen in the southern part of the U.S. this year? You know, overall, Kurt, it has been a warmer winter, but in the last week, we've had a, a lot of cold nights, and the water temperatures dropped. Now, that river flows 
north from the south. It's kind of unique in that way. So, you know, the southern part of the state's warmer, and that water's traveling over 300 miles. So it's stable to a point, but when severe cold fronts hit, it can really impact the spawning cycle. You know, it's amazing that Clun was able to, to win there back-to-back. It, I would not have picked Rick in either of those events. Just, <laughs> right. It didn't think it, well, I just didn't think it set up for him, but he's such a master. He found a way to fish around the spawn. You know, 90% of the field were sight fishing or fishing bedding fish, and Rick did a little of that, but he found a pattern that was unique in a, in a part of the lake that wasn't getting a lot of pressure, and you saw the results. Sure. Bernie, I'm curious because I certainly would like to understand your knowledge of, of shallow Florida fishing and how it has really transcended into other parts of the country during your long BASS career. What do you see predominantly that comes from your Florida background, your Florida roots of fishing that, that may surprise some folks and, and how you've been able to kind of use a particular technique in other parts of the country? I get that question sometimes in seminars as, as well. This might sound a little strange, but I, I was raised doing a lot of saltwater fishing, inshore saltwater fishing on the flats. And, you know, to full fish that know you're there or have have a feel for your presence, you know, it, it takes stealth and distance casting. you got to be accurate at a distance. You want to put as much space between you and the fish that you're trying to catch as possible. And I, that's kind of true for bass fishing in Florida. Our lakes are shallow. The fish are shallow and, you know, the water's clear in most cases and they're very aware of their surroundings. And if you go in there making a lot of commotion, yeah, you're going to catch a few fish if they're in the mood, but the bigger fish are, are wary. They got big for a reason. So I think probably the thing that's made me a better angler in other parts of the country from what I learned in Florida is, is to be stealthy in your approach, make long casts and, and soft presentations and just try to uh, sneak up on the fish the best you can. That's something often overlooked, honestly. I, it's, those are some great fundamental factors that, that you've learned there that, yeah, for sure, bass education can transcend all the way through their, their home bodies of water, wherever that is in the country. Bernie, you often do well in Florida. I actually went back, went into the BASS archives, you know, back in the 80s. Your first couple big checks in the sport came out of the state of Florida. Uh, Harris Chain, you, you mopped up some good stuff. And, and probably, you know, I, I don't know where you were, you know, in those those years, but I'm going to say those were some of the events that gave you the the drive and the ability to foresee success long term in the sport because you did have such great success there around around your home state, and your home water there in the 80s and and now parlayed into a geez, what are we talking, a 35 year career <laughs> thereabouts, yeah, 30 plus yeah. years. So uh, yeah. it's pretty awesome in that now we see, you know, especially going forward throughout your career, you always do well in the state of New York. And and I know that this has been covered a little bit before, but really interested to kind of break that down. You know, Florida, you talked about uh, the stealthness and, and some of those things that come into play where you've been able to push that to other parts of the country to supply success. New York has a lot of natural lakes, right? And, and most of the tournament venues up there, Oneida, Champlain, uh, Thousand Islands, you know, a river, natural Natural River, similar to St. John's, you, you've got, you know, a lot of those same factors. Do you think that that's helping you be very successful in New York as well? I'm sure it is, Kurt. There's, there's a lot of similarities in, in Florida habitat and New York, uh, rivers and lakes included. You know, there's a population, even smallmouth, there's a population of smallmouth in, in a lot of those waterways that you mentioned that live shallow. Yeah, there's Maybe a larger number of, of smallmouth live in deep, but there's there's enough of them shallow to make it interesting. And and I've taken on you know the basic approach, my shallow water approach, from what I've learned as a as a kid growing up in Florida, and applied it up there with a lot of success. And and in other parts of the country, I mean, when especially when you're on man-made reservoirs and the water rises and and you know it, it floods terrestrial grass or or plants and and trees on 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 the bank sure fish follow that water level as you well know and in a situation or scenarios like that a florida guy can be very competitive now when you know you're talking about drawdowns and deep reservoirs that are real clear and the fish live deeper 
I'm challenged in some of those, but there's enough shallow fish just about everywhere we go where I can remain competitive. That's a great point. Bernie, we're going to take a quick pause, power pole down. Bass Edge listeners, don't go away. We'll be right back with more from BASS Elite Series Pro, Bernie Schultz. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine. Returns with BASS Elite Series Angler, Bernie Schultz, and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store. It works. Bernie, I want to uh, kind of take a, a quick detour. I saw a really, uh, I would say, fascinating and, and well-produced video on uh, a new project that you're working on with Shimano, and that's concerning the Mentanium. Can you talk just uh, briefly about that? Yeah, the Mentanium's evolved to a, a newer design concept. It's just a fabulous reel. I can't say a whole lot about it because it's going to be released at the Classic, but um, basically it, it incorporates all the best materials and best technology that Shimano can is capable of in producing a reel. And it's it's a super light, compact reel. It's very sturdy. Uh, it's got brass gearing. The body is is solid aluminum, and and it's uh, just a well engineered reel. Super quiet. And what I like about it is the way the line feeds off the spool. It's a great reel for skipping. If anybody's interested in seeing the teaser, they could go to YouTube and search Titanium um, MGL3. That should bring it up. And there's a picture of Aaron Martins. He and I did the video together, and I'm blown away. I can't wait to get some more of them. I had one and, and actually had to send that back to Shimano because they're using it with other anglers. But it's a, a really great reel. It's going to be priced uh, competitively, and it's a lifetime reel. I think it'll survive just about anything you can put a reel through. So I'm excited to be part of that launch, and, and people will get to see more of that reel at the Bassmaster Classic in Birmingham this March. Well, yeah, like Aaron said, an awesomely produced video. We're, we're actually going to put that video on Bass Edge social media, so make an easy transition for Bass Edge listeners. Just check out our Facebook page, and we'll have that video loaded up there with uh, starring Bernie Schultz and Aaron Martin. <laughs> so it was interesting watching you in that video, you know, skip underneath the low-lying cover there, and, and you talked about how the reel really was an extension. I say an extension of the rod. It was almost like you described it as a uh, part of, you know, the feel of the lure rather than just a mechanism to wind the line or cast the line, but actually because of its solid frame, you know, really getting a better feel of what's going on with your lure in the water through the reel itself. That's exactly right. I mean, it's all an extension of what, you know, you're, you're basically trying to remain in contact with your lure, even on a slack line presentation. And that's where this reel excels to me. Uh, you know, every little subtle pulse that comes up the line, you're going to feel it through the frame because of the solid core construction of the, of the reel and its frame. It's highly sensitive. It's super light, but it's really, really durable. And that, I, I mean, that's the best of all three. If, if you can put those yeah. together, you've got something that lasts <laughs> a long time and produce for you. You bet. Well, we'll be sure to check that out. And going from new stuff to old stuff. You know, I always got to, I, I, sometimes I send Bernie texts here and there. Hey, a buddy of mine was wondering about this lure or that lure, because you've been known to be a uh, antique lure guy. And, um, you know, lately not on many anglers radars, but you know, maybe that's because they just aren't aware or don't have the knowledge of, of the placement of, of these types of lures and, you know, have the uh, aficionado to understand what they are, where they come from. What are some good places to check out antique bass lures online? Uh, let me ask that question first. Where, where do you get some of your great information where folks can go check out, you know, more information about antique bass lures? By the way, while I was searching this, I saw some YouTube videos out there of some younger anglers 
busting open grandpa's tackle box. And uh, it's pretty interesting to watch the different actions and different things that are going on. So what are some of the other ways we can learn about some of the older bass lures that maybe might turn around and catch us some fish here in the present? Yeah, you, you kind of have to be careful. I mean, some of them are so valuable, you probably shouldn't put them in the water. But um, <laughs> uh, there's a number of ways to get into the hobby or to at least research the tackle that you're trying to find out of its history or its value. There's a worldwide organization called the National Fishing Lure Collectors Club, NFLCC. They have a website. There's also a number of message boards, josellures.com. That's a good one. And uh, the NFLCC also has a message board. There's a number of pages on Facebook that are dedicated to collecting in different uh, genres and different uh, makes, like there's pages dedicated to Hedden, some to Shakespeare, some to South Bend, some to Rapala. There's a lot of different sectors that you can, and directions you can go to or go into if you're interested in collecting. And there's also countless books on the subject. There's shows. There's there's shows that actually, uh, they're annual events. They're in different parts of the country. And you can get a uh, show schedule on josellures.com. He has a page where he, you know, dedicates all the listings for these shows, uh, whether they're local, regional, or national. And there's auctions. There's actually auctions, uh, annual auctions for Antique Tackle. So there's a lot of ways that you can find out uh, more about your old tackle and basically collectability comes down to the individual. It's, it's like, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. It's the same way for fishing lures. If, if it gets your eye and you want to know more about it, there's places you can go. My own website, I have a, uh, an index of antique lures and, and reels basically just to, you know, kind of help people identify things or, or get a feel for, for what they have. And, and it's all important, you know, yeah. the, uh, so much of tackle development happened in this country at, uh, you know, the turn of the 1900 to 2000, you know, that hundred year cycle through there, there was a tremendous amount of development and most of it was based on the black bass and, okay. you know, the modern day casting reel that was conceived in this country by, they were actually Kentucky uh, watchmakers and they understood gearing and they were the first to really develop reels for bass fishing. And the plug, as you're familiar with, those evolved in this country. There were spinners and hooks and all kinds of other ways to catch fish before that. But basically the lure, as you know it, that evolved from pioneers in this country. I had no clue. That's awesome. That's why I love digging into this and asking these questions. Um, and it just it just creates even more interest for me itself. Is there a hot item right now or you know you mentioned uh grandpa's tackle box and and you said you might be careful about what you throw in the water where are you at on obviously you, you said the uh amount is in the eye of the beholder and and what what things are worth and things like that but in a general perspective obviously you probably have some thousands of dollars of lures but uh if you've got a 40 or 50 year old lure i mean shoot you see ricos these days you know some of those older ricos or i'm trying to think of that crankbait that uh so popular in the Ozarks, Aaron. Come on, help me out. It's crazy, Kurt. I mean, yeah. it's like I said, it's so subjective. Some people, uh, they have a fascination for lures that were made when they were kids. Uh, others like the stuff that's in their granddad's tackle box. Others right. take a more historical and serious approach, and they want to go back to the very beginnings of development. For me to pin down one area or one lure or a trend, that's really difficult. It just depends who's asking. You know, everybody's right. got their own taste. Yeah, good right. stuff. That's well, Bernie, you're so versed in the in the sport. I'm gonna I'm gonna take off on another tangent here. Obviously, uh, you are a saltwater angler, and you, just by paying attention to kind of your social media, it's evident you have a passion for it. What kind of species do you mostly pursue, and do you find bringing anything from your saltwater experience to your bass fishing game? Oh, absolutely. I mentioned that earlier. There's you know a lot of the technique in sight fishing. Now, you know. Saltwater fish don't bed. And to answer your question, the first part of your question, I'm looking for snook, tarpon, bonefish, redfish, triple tail, you know, fish that live and or at least uh, travel through shallow water where I can see them. My preference is to try and look at the fish I'm after and, uh, you know, sight fish them that way. But yeah, it's, you know, a lot of the technique or at least the way you approach the fish. Uh, saltwater fish don't bed like bass. Um, you, you don't see them fan beds and, and sit on them. They're more 
uh, transient and they're moving. They're kind of a moving target, which adds to the challenge. But uh, it's about sneaking up on the fish and making, you know, you may only get one cast. It's got to be precise. And if you do it right, you oftentimes connect. And a lot of times you're going to be denied. But that's just part of the challenge. And that's what I like about it. I don't use live bait. I'm strictly an artificial guy. And, and I prefer to try and fool the fish by looking at them. Good stuff. Well, uh, as a longtime ranger pro, Bernie, and the recent passing of our sports icon, Forrest Wood, can you share a quick experience or memory that you had with Forrest, which kind of uh, you'll always remember and hang on to? Oh, man, that was, that was such a devastating blow. That, that guy meant so much to so many people. I mean, I got a lot of stories with Forrest. Forrest actually was interested in antique tackle, so we, we shared that common interest. Probably the the one thing that your viewers would be more interested in is I, I drew Forrest, actually. Early in my career, we had these tournaments on the Harris chain. They actually moved later, but they started out on the Harris chain. It's called the Megabucks. Mm-hmm. tournaments. Kurt, you'll remember those. Yes, yes. And, and um, you know, I was cutting my teeth back then, and I drew Forrest. And back then, we competed, you know, the, the anglers competed with each other in the boat. The two guys would go out, and they'd share the day. And, and, you know, depending on how good a salesman you were, you'd try to get control of the boat or get control of, <laughs> of where you were fishing the best you could. And sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But Forrest was a gentleman. And when I drew him, it was interesting how it worked out. But he yielded to me because we were in Florida. I think. He he knew I was anxious. I was on fish. I, I wanted to go in my boat, and I thought there was enough for both of us. So he agreed to go with me, and we had a great day. Forrest caught the biggest fish he's ever caught in a tournament. It was a nine-pounder, Oh wow, and awesome. I got to grab that fish. It was hung up in the lily pads. We were flipping pads in Big Lake Harris, and uh, it was a pretty anxious moment. I mean, he you know, the fish was big. It was hung up. It was, it was stuck to the pad stem below the waterline, and I grabbed it by the mouth and I had I asked him to you know to free spool his reel so I could rip it off the pads and he didn't want to do that but uh, <laughs> finally I got him to do it and I lifted this huge fish in the boat he was hugging me like I was his kid and I'll never forget that memory but he was he was such a gentleman but, but the best part of the story is Forrest was on a ton of fish on his own and I didn't realize it and he he did mention it but he was just such a sportsman he wanted to give me my chance he knew I was trying to make a living as, as an angler a competitor and he was competitive but he knew his calling was building boats right and right. Uh, so he gave me that opportunity and as it turned out Forrest did really well in the tournament he was on enough fish to win actually he didn't end up winning but he had a great tournament and that just speaks to his character his giving a young guy his chance and it just worked out for both of us yeah you know what's interesting bernie you you see a lot of uh the post that came out over the last several weeks and and what a profound impact he had on giving people an opportunity to chase their passion of bass fishing for a living just as you mentioned you know kind of gave you the opportunity being a florida guy and, and knowing where you were at in your competitive environment and uh although he was on great fish he gave a lot of people those types of opportunities and and oftentimes maybe none of us realized that until we looked back upon those experiences or those memories and and uh man just a great experience i appreciate you sharing that story it's a lot of fun to uh hear those memories and uh of course especially from a a veteran angler like you that's been in the in the game so long yeah he was a class act i mean he gave people the opportunity to make a life out of, of competitive fishing, you know, make a make a career out of it. And Nina too, she, you know, I got to mention Nina. She was actually head of the pro staff back then, and she's the one that signed me. Forrest was, I don't think Forrest was real sure about this kid from Florida. Looked like a surfer. <laughs> he didn't know what to think of me, but but uh, she liked me, and she thought I had the potential. And then when I fished with Forrest, we cemented that relationship. It was, right. it was just a great, it was a great beginning for my career. Fantastic stuff. Okay, guys, let's dive into a listener question segment of our show presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Bernie, I thought this was a great question. You fished Winyah Bay last year. You've been, you know, all over the U.S., specifically in the southern United States. This question comes from Dylan Boozin. Uh, he wants to know, what are the most effective tactics to target bass in tidal rivers in the southeast, specifically the Santee Cooper River system? And what are your three go-to baits? Ooh, that's tough. Um, 
Tidal rivers are one of the biggest challenges in bass fishing, as you know. That current's going to flow both directions the closer to the ocean you get, or the gulf, depending on where you're at. But in his case, he's talking about the Atlantic Ocean, and, and that's a very tidal system there. Uh, shallow run and crankbaits. You know, that's important. I use uh, a number of different crankbaits. I like DTs. The Rapala DTs are really good crankbaits. The new Brat that they came out with, that's a really good choice. You know, crankbaits just work in a lot of scenarios in tidal rivers, whether the fish are on wood or they're on undercut banks or on offshore bars. And they can even work through um, lily pads and and, um, sparse grass. And then I guess the next choice would be Probably a spinnerbait. I, I, I'm a Hildebrandt guy. You know that about me. And I would probably be throwing a tandem willow leaf, small profile spinnerbait and keeping it up and moving. I don't slow roll in, in tidal rivers. I, I think the fish are staged to feed when you when you find them. So I keep the bait moving at a pretty good velocity and up in the water column. And I'm fishing shallow. And, and you can throw a spinnerbait just about anywhere, as you know. Uh, the last would probably be a Senko. I mean, it's hard not to imagine using that bait just about anywhere a, f- a fish lives. A Senko will catch a, a bass quicker than just about anything. So I think those are the three. I, if I could throw a fourth in, it would be a topwater. Whether it's a buzz bait or a prop bait, it would be something that makes a commotion, maybe a popper. But those pretty much um, would be the, the first go-to baits I would I would try. Can you talk briefly, Bernie, about uh, your feeling on incoming tide, outgoing tide, slack tide, and give Dylan a pointer or two there to where your preference for success in in that realm? You know, each fishery is different. I mean, I've seen fish feed better on an incoming tide than an outgoing tide, but conventional wisdom tells you the, the last part of a falling tide is usually the most productive. The fish are, you know, they're kind of forced out of the cover to the edge where they're accessible easier to present a lure to. I, I'm hoping Kurt would agree with this, but I think, you know, it's, it's easier to manage your boat when you're not having to deal with so much flooded cover. So I like, I like a lower water level towards the end of the falling tide. And then usually the beginning of the incoming can be as good. It can mirror that same period of productivity. Well, Bernie, thanks for answering uh, that question. And Dylan, certainly we appreciate you sending in the question to be answered that Bernie, uh, shows there and hopefully that helps you put more fish in the boat but one thing that we do need from you is to let us know that you did hear bernie answer your question here on episode 321 and you can do that simply by going to bassedge.com and uh, clicking on the claim your prize tab on the website provide us with your information and we will get that bass edge gift sent directly to you that's right bernie thanks again for answering that question for dylan i couldn't agree more and uh want to continue a reminder to bass edge listeners if you want to hear your question answered on the show by a top bass or flw or bbt professional throw in those questions to our website bassedge.com to have a shot at winning another gift from bass edge radio in the following months you can email those to support at bassedge.com or even leave us a comment on our facebook or instagram and twitter media pages well bernie you are truly a legend and certainly a pleasure to have you on this episode of bass edge radio do you have any final thoughts or uh, tips or, or things that you want to pass on to the listeners before we shut this down well i appreciate that and the opportunity you guys gave me the best tip i can give anybody listening is to spend more time on the water there's no substitute for that the more you're out there, the more you'll learn, the better you'll get. And I would just suggest that if anybody's interested in following, I write for Bassmaster.com, also InsideLine.net. They can follow my columns. I give a lot of good information there. And I have a website, and I'm also on Facebook. So anybody interested, they can find me there, and I'm pretty easy to uh, communicate with. So. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity, guys. And and I give all of those media channels 10 stars if it's a rating out of 10. Bernie is one of the most candid commenters on the uh, Bassmaster site. Love reading his columns, so be sure you all check that out. Thanks again, Bernie, for being on the show. Look forward to following you on the Elite Series again this year. Best of luck kicking it off there in your home state of Florida. Y'all stay tuned. Bass Edge Nation will be right back with Aaron and Kurt for this next segment. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. 
Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt, I, I know that uh, Bernie is well-known in the sport, but he's he's really a legend in my book. I mean, uh, what a career, what a fantastic interview. The guy spans uh, all parts of, of fishing, not just not just freshwater, but then, you know, antique lures to saltwater. I can see why his career has been what it has been. Yeah, he he's an amazing dude. I'm, I'm happy that I could call Bernie a friend, and and if I need something from him, I, you know, he's just a, a text away. It's it's a it's a phenomenal relationship, and uh, he he's a great individual. And as you said, Aaron, he is no doubt a legend in the, in the sport of bass fishing. He's been around since uh, the mid '80s and uh, has an unrelenting passion for the game. And uh, I think it shows through all of the, you know, from his media outlets, through his his uh, interest in antique lures and his and his passion for that, uh, the saltwater fishing, the bass fishing, and and look, dude, he is a basket of knowledge, you know, and and pulling that out today was a lot of fun listening to uh, some of the uh, thought process on shallow water angling, um, some of the things that that he does in Florida that transcends to other parts of of the United States for him. And something that Bass Edge listeners can uh, learn from Bernie, take from his experiences, put it into effect, and catch more fish. Because that, my friends, is what Bass Edge Radio is all about. That's right. And uh, certainly we appreciate all of our listeners tuning into Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keelguard. In the meantime, we are out of time. So to stay up on all things Bass Edge, make sure to visit the website BassEdge.com for articles, videos, products through the BassEdge.com store. And of course, all of our social media. And don't forget to send in those listener questions to have your chance at winning the Bass Edge prize and also uh, your question answered by a elite level pro kurt uh don't forget valentine's day is coming up make sure to yes, right. uh, uh, go out and get Rhonda something special there's not enough money that uh, you could spend to make it worth her having to put up with you but good luck <laughs> on that so anyway until next time my friend i look forward hey 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 hey, hey. <laughs> heard about fair play diana i'm sorry that you got to deal with this man <laughs> oh my gosh i was gonna try and just roll right through that but uh anyway look forward to our next episode which will be episode 322 on february 15th have a great couple weeks everybody and good luck out there on the water and be safe so long Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.